Hey everybody, it's a fresh episode of the Call to Arms podcast. This episode is presented by AXA, the official insurance partner of the NBA. I'm so glad that we're going to be speaking to Lee Ellis on this episode. What a life he's living, what a journey he's on, and what a dream it is to be traveling the world playing hoops. We'll talk to him about that, this new journey, this new mission uh, that he's set his life to. Uh, we'll also talk about his thoughts on what's happening in the league. But it's been a madness of an offseason so far. He's had decades covering the NBA up close. Uh, it's a lot of very solid plays going on uh, in NBA front offices all around the league and uh, maybe some still to come. We don't know. We'll talk to Lee all about that and so much more. Let's not make you guys wait any longer. The pod, as always, produced and made possible by the amigo Toby from HR. Original artist supervised by Al Martin, back-to-back tag team partner with the Melvin John Rodas. Uh, Slam Philippines, coming up clutch, as always, co-presenting the Call to Arms podcast together with Titan. My name is Nico Ramos, and this... My friends, this is the Call to Arms podcast. Let's go. Something going on around the islands. Money flowing wherever I've been promised. Just another vacuum in the tropics. Taking over, trying to stop this novice. Make it killing. I'm finna conquer. I'm a dreamer. The floor is lava. Something going on around the islands. I can't begin to tell you how excited I am uh, for this conversation, for this episode. I want to thank you for calling in, for making time, for stopping your journey around the world to speak to us and all of your very, very, very loyal followers and fans here in the Philippines. The one, the only Lee Ellis is with us on the show. Lee, this, this means a lot to us. Thanks for doing this. Oh, thanks very much for having me. Uh, I know basketball in Philippines is huge. So for me to get a chance to talk to you, Nico, and uh, hopefully the grander audience uh, there in, in the Philippines is very exciting for me. So I hope to be there soon, hopefully. We'll, we'll try to make something happen there because, uh, man, I've seen some awesome courts that I'd love to go and play at, and uh, hopefully we can make something happen. We're working on it. For, for, for people yeah. who've been waiting for the 2020-20 tour to be like, when, when's Manila? It's it's hey, we're working on it. All right. Um, but Lee, if if you would please r- remind people one where you are in the world right now, and I guess why it's necessary for me to ask that question. Yeah, well, so I'm back at home where I live right now, which is Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, but in the last eight months or so, I've been on the road quite a bit because I'm trying to play pickup basketball around the world in as many different countries and cities as possible. And I set off with the goal in mind of doing 20 uh, last year in November. And as we are here in July right now, I've just ticked off number 14, which was Toronto, Canada last week, which was uh, probably the biggest turnout I've had. In fact, that was uh, an amazing day, uh, great game, great fun. Uh, So yeah, it's taken me so far all around. Well, a lot of Europe, uh, parts of Africa, I even touched on Asia a little bit there in Turkey because I played on the Asian side of Turkey. It's such <laughs> a huge country there. So I uh, technically have, have, have at least uh, you know made contact with Asia, but I'm hoping to expand on that soon. Uh, and now North America. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a fantastically exciting journey, meeting so many people, playing basketball, eating crazy foods and uh, exploring new cities. And Really, it's just now that I've got a taste for it, I just can't wait to to do more and explore more countries and cities. Now, this is the dream, right? This is this is uh, while and this is long winded, and I apologize, and I hope I'm able to 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 <laughs> make my point here. But while this dream or this idea isn't necessarily original, to do what you've done and actually commit to it is the most impressive thing. And I think the fact that other people have had this dream, this intention before to travel the world, play basketball and meet people speaking only basketball as the common language, and yet to not have anyone kind of really just go push their chips to the middle of the table and go all in the way you have makes this 10 times more impressive. Um, Are you crazy? 
(laughs) (laughs) I think you have to be, don't you? A little bit. I mean, of course, when I do sometimes explain it to people, even when I hear the words coming out of my mouth, I'm like, (laughs) yeah, this probably does sound a little bit crazy. But, you know, I just believe that if you if you are going to do something, then you just go and do it. And it, it, you can't always explain exactly how things are going to play out because you just don't know. And part of the journey and part of the excitement for me is is sort of peeking behind the curtain and wondering what's behind there and and, and having it unfold as it happens. Um, I, I you know look, I believe traveling is the best education you can have because you can't teach traveling; you can only learn it, and you only mm. learn it by doing it. And so if if I tried to sort of plan this out step by step and then execute a plan like that, I just don't think it would be as as fun because when you travel, so many things go wrong. So many obstacles come your way and so many things happen, whether it's a flight delay or a misconnection or someone doesn't turn up or whatever it is. You just have to sort of roll with the punches and you learn so much about yourself when you do that. You learn how you handle adversity and you, you le- learn how to handle stresses and 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 anxieties and and when things go wrong it's like so do you throw a tantrum and do you you know curse and cuss or do you just go okay well i'll just move forward with what i've what with what i've got right now and you know the other part of traveling is when you are in cities like it's so captivating to look at you know the the the, the architecture or be on a cool beach or to just be strolling around the city just taking it all in and so for me, your attitude and your mood is really dictated by what you're doing and, and why you're doing it. And so when I'm in, in an incredible city like in Dubrovnik in Croatia, it's hard to be in a bad mood no matter what mm. happens because it's like this is just so beautiful. You're eating great food. You're in the water uh, swimming. You're, you know, you're playing basketball. You're exploring a, a decade or you know hundreds of years old city. And so there's so much that you're learning and you're taking in. It's just, it's it's well worth the experience. And ultimately, I hope to get this series onto a documentary style like a Netflix or Amazon or something like that. But even if I don't, I come away from this having explored some of the most incredible cities in the world and had some incredible experiences and met so many people like who have just... Without the support of those people, I wouldn't be able to do it in the first place. So really, even though... It is a little crazy what I'm doing. I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't feel that I had the support of my audience and, and basketball fans around the world. It's really such an it, it's such an admirable um, mission that you that you kind of committed yourself to, um, and and also it's such an enviable journey to watch um, on on social media. Uh, I've found myself just. I think if if I go like three, four days and I haven't seen you post, I actually go to the search bar and just type your name and I go like, where where is this man right now? And then I go, that basketball court is beautiful. Um, and and the thing about it is, you know, when when you this is confession time, when you started this journey in November, right? Um, I remember looking at it, seeing the first post that you put up. And absolutely feeling it in the guttiest part of my gut. Nothing but rage and anger towards you. I was like, this dude. I was like, I like, if you ask anybody who's like ever spent decent time with me and they ask me, like, hey, Nico, like, what's your dream? And I was like, Bourdain, but basketball. Um, and I always just throw that out because it's like, oh, it's just a crazy <laughs> thing. Like, no one would ever do it. And then when I saw you commit to it, I was like, this man, he's gonna do it. And then, <laughs> and then, ten seconds later, I, I, I calmed down and realized you are the perfect person to do this because of just how adventurous you've been as a person. And that's, I guess, the part I wanna, I wanna get to is obviously a lot of people know you from. I've known you since the basketball Jones, uh, you know, and then obviously the starters and no dunks. They know you for your very solid plays. Um, but even getting to Toronto, Canada and linking up with, with J.E. and the original gang, that was a long way from Australia. Can you kind of talk to us about this penchant for basketball traveling that you've always had way before yeah. the 2020 
Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I, I was a big basketball fan as a kid, uh, but getting access to the NBA in Australia in the late 80s was hard. You know, there was no cable TV, there was no internet, and I'm sure in the Philippines it was, it was probably very much the same, that mm. you sort of had to scrounge around to find any highlights and magazines and newspapers, whatever you could. Uh, for me, that's what the challenge was. But I, I, I kind of loved that adventure of, like, writing to NBA teams from Australia. I, I would write a letter, handwritten letter, mail it off and then sometimes wait six months to get a response and even if they only were sent back uh, you know a, a card and said hey thanks for the support from down under whatever it was that just meant so much to me you know it just it just like that acknowledgement that recognition that like hey man thank you we we appreciate it but it still felt like america and the nba was was basically being played on mars at the time because right. i'm like how am i going to get to america how am i going to follow this so as i got a little bit older and again, traveling was something that was, all, you know, as, as an equal passion of mine. So I moved overseas to London and, and things sort of started to happen there. And I, I actually went to New York City in 1999, but it was during the lockout. So there was no basketball. And I was like, wow. I can't believe this, you know, <laughs> like, I mean, I finally get to America, I finally get to New York City and they're not playing basketball. So uh, I had to still wait a couple of other seasons uh, or a couple of other years, I guess. Well, about about a year or a year and a half or so before I actually got to a game. Uh, and I finally did. And, and, and it was incredible. And so once I sort of realized that I could actually get to the NBA as far as accessing it, living in Toronto, that fueled my desire even more. And then Skeets and Tass and JD came along with the basketball Jones and I saw what they were doing and I was like, all right, I gotta, I gotta get in on this somehow. <laughs> that's that's perfect. Talking basketball uh, with the NBA, and so, but again, that those sorts of things could not have happened if I didn't take that initial step in the first place, which was to travel. I didn't know how things were going to work out. Exactly the same how I feel right now. I don't know exactly how this is going to turn out. I don't know what the final, uh, you know, final result is going to be. But I just know that. I'm going to keep on knocking on doors. I'm going to keep on trying. I'm going to keep trying to figure out ways to make the content that I'm doing engaging and compelling. And so people, you know, like yourself, you know, I mean, you know, sort of envy it and, and are jealous of it because you know you could do it too. It's just you haven't been able to, to to do it so far. But I'm hoping that people will see what I'm doing and say, man, I don't just want to play a game. I want to be a part of what he's doing. I want to help him promote this and celebrate it and take it around the world because. There's literally no place in the world that I would not go to to play basketball, you know, and, and and I know that my I have an audience sort of dotted around the country, and it's like I want to go and show people like yourself who have supported me for over a decade. Hey, man, I'm coming to play basketball in your city now. You're next. And the great thing is, like in Toronto, because I obviously have a bit of a history there, and and you know I I spent a lot of years there uh, living. People feel like, hey, we've got a show that this is the this is going to be the best stop on his tour. <laughs> and so people showed up in Toronto. People came out and played. And so that's also what I'm trying to now almost provoke people in Manila and say, hey, man, look at what happened in Toronto. You guys have got to match that because I've had so many people from Manila say, and, and just across the Philippines as well, say, you know, come out and play. And I'm like, all right, if I come, you guys have to show up big time and you have to bring the energy. And I know that they will. Uh, it's just a matter of getting there. Yeah, I mean, I I think that that's I I think that the support and the energy you'll feel that's the that's the one part I'm that's the one part I don't doubt. Um, and us kind of matching schedules and figuring out all the things on the back end is is really what I'm now committing my life to. I'm like, if I'm not the one doing this, I'm gonna make sure that the guy who <laughs> is doing this makes a stop in my city, and then we yeah. we we go and we go and do a run. All right, um. Uh, I want to talk NBA a little bit um, because I think that what you guys have done, what your group has done, um, I said this to you a few years ago. I'm sure you won't remember. It was in it was in Charlotte, North Carolina for for All Star Weekend. Um, everyone, all of us media, we were outside one of the practice facilities. We were booted out because for some reason that year the All Star teams wanted to practice closed door. And I'm like, right. all right, whatever. And then we were booted out. We were all trying to figure out a way to get back to the city center. But I had approached you guys. And I remember I'd said, hey, I just want to thank you guys because you make it feel you've made it cool for us non-basketball 
players, <laughs> just people who love to play basketball, but like non-jocks to talk about the game and appreciate the game and have a conversation about the game, have a place in the conversation. I said, I really, you know, I, I really owe a lot of my career to basketball Jones because I was like, look at these dudes in Canada. <laughs> look at these dudes. In Can they look just like me. And they're doing it. Maybe I can do this too. So anyway, I'm just reminding you what I said is Charlotte, um, as a way for me to start talking about the NBA. So during this travel of yours, how much have you been keeping track with the league? Uh, is it is it something that you're still as plugged into as you were when you when you guys were pumping out podcasts on the daily? Oh, definitely not as plugged in. I mean, a part of why I did what I did was because I'd been covering it so closely for over 11 years, really. And uh, a part of it, I think, was, you know, during the COVID season, uh, you know, we, we we didn't have basketball for like four months there. Then we came back and it felt like it was just like then we jammed basically mm. two and a half seasons into like what felt like about a year. And I think a part of a part of that was, you know, a little bit of fatigue and a little bit of burnout because you're just like watching game after game after game. And so when I decided this is what I was going to do, I mean, this is not a sort of side hobby or a side hustle. A few people have said, like, couldn't you have just stayed on the show and done this as a side gig? But this feels to me like it requires 100% of my effort. And so that's what I decided to give it. And that's why I decided to leave the show, because I wanted to have that freedom and flexibility to be able to be like, I'm going to this city, I'm going to this country now because it feels right or I've got an opportunity to go there. So, you know, naturally, you just don't have the same time to commit to watching the NBA. I mean, obviously, I saw, you know, the Nuggets win the finals and, I and you know, you, you, you follow the season, but I'm just not there watching, you know, who's, who's playing the seventh and eighth man for the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves mm -hmm. on a Tuesday night in March. I mean, I'm not watching it that closely, but... You know, you follow still all the main storylines. I still love basketball. I mean, I still love the NBA, but I'm just focusing now on a different project that requires complete and, and utter dedication and commitment from me. So, you know, in that sense, something sort of had to give, and it was just that daily following of the NBA that that I didn't uh, I didn't follow it as closely. But you know, I still saw a lot of you know great highlights and moments throughout the league, and I know. You know, I mean, you, you're watching the the uh, races for the playoffs towards the end, but just not in a in a consumptive way of like, all right, I'm sitting down tonight to watch the Heat and the you know Celtics or whatever in in a, in a regular season game. So, you know, as I say, I, I don't, um, I, I don't, you know, I'm not turning my nose up at the basketball or the NBA or anything like that. It's just after 11 years of being so closely involved just decided to try something different and and it's still connected to basketball anyway and you know i mean i've, I've seen a couple of nba players on my runs as well mm. i had damien rudez in croatia i had matt bonner in Bonner. toronto recently and so i'm hoping at some point i'll get a few more to come along as well i mean jimmy butler was in london just last week he, we didn't time it well enough but he was there at wimbledon and so i i sort of feel that at some point it's going to be i'm going to be at a run and some nba player is just going to turn up and it's going to make it great so you know, it's it's not that I, uh, it, you know, it's not that I've turned my back on on the NBA or the league. It's just I've turned my focus to a new project and a new endeavor. I will say this though: that to be fair to you, your less than usual attention paid to the NBA is still probably much more attention paid by a lot of other people, right? I mean. For you to say like, hey, I'm paying attention to the NBA, but not in the way that I would like. I don't know like who's the ninth guy on the Wolves like on a, I don't know, January afternoon. Lee, no one else does. Yeah. The Wolves no. aren't sure who's their ninth guy in January. So to that, yeah. to that, sir, I will say yeah. like I, I, I still think you know more than most. Um, but you know this has been a very, very eventful offseason. The NBA has done a great job making themselves a 12 month product uh whether games are played or games are not played people are people are paying attention do you have a favorite do you have a favorite off season move um that you think is in your words very good well i guess i i, I you know what i guess i'm surprised at the raptors off season because they lose fred van vliet mm. for nothing the Houston Rockets, and then they hire. I had a new coach, uh, Ryankovic, there in uh, you know, coming in for his first 
time. And it sounds like, it feels like Pascal Siakam is probably, or OG or Scotty, one of those guys is probably going to get traded. And, you know, the reason I bring that up is because I'm a big believer in continuity being very important for a team's success. And the Raptors with Nick Nurse, obviously not there anymore, but Pascal, Fred, OG, uh, these guys won the championship. I know OG was technically injured, but the, the the point is that you know you tend to have more success when guys have been around for a long time and they've 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 won. And so the Raptors now seem to be almost at the opposite end of that, where it seems to be a little bit of a dismantling of the team. And so you know there's a real challenge here for Masai Ujiri to to rebuild that team and get it up again to a championship contending level because I think last season was pretty disappointing uh, in in terms of how it ended. And, you know, they could have traded Fred at the deadline and gotten something in return. That didn't happen. So ultimately, I'm fascinated to see where Toronto goes from here because, you know, it seems, you know, seems like sometimes it was only yesterday they won the championship. Other times because of COVID, it feels like it could have been 20 years ago as well. You know, so much has happened in the world since then. But, you know, when you when you think about it, you know, Pascal seemed to be on his way to being like, you know, all NBA, no matter what. Uh, now he did. I think he finished All NBA last season. In the end, but there seems to be a little bit of a fracturing of that relationship there, and and I'm not sure exactly where it's going to go. So that's intriguing to me. You know, Fred going to the Houston Rockets. I mean, he's getting a big, big payday out there, Congrats which is good, well earned. You know, back yourself, uh, bet on yourself because uh, he has done that. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's uh, it's very interesting. And then you know, teams like the Milwaukee Bucks as well. This is a very crucial season for them coming up with a new coach. Uh, you know, Budenholzer took them to a championship, but it's like my, like with uh, Nick Nurse, it doesn't really matter. They're gone now. You know, Monty Williams is gone in Phoenix. Now they didn't win a championship, but they were getting close. So there's a lot of teams with a lot of changes. In fact, the Phoenix Suns is probably another one that's really interesting because they don't seem to have a point guard right now. They seem to only have Booker and Bradley Beal, who are probably going to share responsibilities there. I think, but you, the, do uh, like, their... I think you do 10, 15 more runs, Lee. They might start looking at you. That's <laughs> how desperate they are for a point guard right now. Hey, uh, you know, I could probably find time to squeeze in a 10-day <laughs> there for the Suns. But So, you know, like, yeah, and you're right. What, like you said, the, the NBA season, has the, the NBA has done a good job of keeping the NBA relevant during the off season with, with intrigue and with a lot of big moves. And I, and look, I think Damian Lillard's probably on his way out of Portland too. Um, we're all sort of waiting to see where he ends up when he goes to Miami, then we won't be surprised, but uh, you know, so it, it's good. And, and that's right. I mean, I, I, I still, I like to see the chess game of, of who's doing what to, to compete. And uh, you know, I mean, you look at the Lakers, for example, I honestly thought they were probably going to upset the Nuggets, uh, you know, the way that the way that the sort of season was unfolding there, and then the Nuggets go out and sweep them and win the championship. I think that's I think that's perfect for the NBA because now the Nuggets are showing like, hey, we drafted all these guys. We drafted Jokic, we drafted Jamal Murray, Michael Porter. They stuck with Michael Malone and they won a championship. Mm-hmm. So now everyone's chasing them. So it, it it's great. I mean, there's a lot to look forward to, and there's a lot of teams going into next season that are like, hey, this is our year. And and uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. And the talent in the NBA right now, I, you know, it, it feels like every year you feel like, man, how could this talent pool get even better? How could this talent pool, pool like just go higher? And then a rookie class like this rookie class comes in, especially because of, uh, I guess, who's at the top of it. And you're like, the talent in the NBA is obscene right now. What are your thoughts on on obviously Wemby and Scoot, Ren Miller, the number two pick? I mean, they they're at the they're at the top of of everyone's minds uh, since we have just come from the draft. The Thompson twins are are also coming from a very unique path to the NBA, going through OTE and not the G League or college. Uh, is is there any one particular? Uh, rookie story that you're going to keep, you know, the corner of your eye pointed towards? Um, and could it possibly not be Wimbanyama? Because I mean, <laughs> if it is, then I don't think, I don't think that's a surprise. Well, uh, yeah, it, look, it is a little boring, my answer, but it is Wimbanyama because I have never seen a player that has the potential that he has right now. I mean, the handles, he's what, 7'5, he's got handles like he's 6'1, he can shoot, he looks smooth out there. 
Um, he plays defense. Now, look, he's thin and and he's young, so he's going to – I think teams are going to try to attack him physically and try to sort of, you know, out-muscle him because that that's what happens. I mean, I remember when Dwight Howard came into the NBA nearly 20 years ago, he was a physically pretty big guy, but in the NBA, guys in the first season or two were able to move him out the way pretty quickly because it just takes time to build up that strength. But where when Banyama is different is he can sort of rely on his finesse game on the offensive end to still be really effective because that shot is virtually unblockable. Mm. He's got the handle and the ability to get wherever he wants on the floor. So if he's able to, you know, execute on the offensive end, I mean, that that de- the defensive side and the physicality will come in time, but he could be a legit 25-point-per-game scorer next season, you know, immediately. Um, especially on San Antonio, where he's going to be pretty much, I would guess, the focus of the offense anyway. He's going to get plenty of opportunities. I don't think they win a ton of games, uh, you know, 35, maybe something like that. But I think Wembenyama is going to pretty much have a, a fairly solid offensive impact anyway. And and I just want to see it because, you know, every rookie that comes in, there's a lot of expectation and there's a lot of pressure. But th- this guy does look different, doesn't he? Mm. Really, I mean, he really does. We've seen now for over a year the highlights, and it's like if he's able to play, you know, like as a Kevin Durant-type shooter with Kyrie Irving handles, I mean, who's going to be able to stop that, you know? And he can probably post guys up as well, and he's got a little jump hook. Uh, you know, so this guy, I don't really think since LeBron, we've seen anyone with this level of like, wow, he, he could be really good. I mean, I, I was a big believer in Blake Griffin when he came out of Oklahoma because it was like big bully guy at 6'10 who could dunk all over everybody. You know, he had a good career, didn't quite probably reach the levels we hoped for and injuries played a part in that. Um, But, you know, and Zion, I think Zion's the other one who that we saw those highlights of Duke of this guy, just like Charles Barkley, just Mm. bouncing all over the court and throwing down incredible dunks and things like that. But same thing, injuries have really prevented him from reaching the levels that we we had hoped for. But Wembenyama seems like he might be the real, real next big thing. And, uh, and I'm excited to see, and if you're the Blazers or the Hornets, this draft, it, it, you know, it, it, basically played out you, you couldn't make a wrong pick you know i mean you, you knew when Binyam was going to go number one then it was just a matter of who's going to is it scoot or is it brandon miller uh and as it turned out it went miller scoot but if you're the blazers you're like okay this guy could have been number one any other year so this is not too bad uh, to so that. i i think it's fascinating yeah, not to mention, I think Scoot has a seven foot five chip on his shoulder now because i think he would have taken going two to a victor Wembanyama. i don't think he is any bit okay with going three uh, in this draft class. So, I mean, it seems like Portland, it, it it seems to have made their decision to trade Damian Lillard. If by the time he posts this, Damian Lillard has a new team, um, then there you go. But it, it seems to have made it a little easier because they now have, they go from zero to double zero in, in, in scoot uh, on their team. Um, but I want to, I want to circle back on one of the things that you, that you mentioned, you made a great point. Um, and, you know, it's it's something that, you know, I, I really wanted to talk to you about because of your unique perspective of covering the league in, uh, you know, 11 years. You mentioned a couple of guys, uh, Blake Griffin um, and and Zion Williamson, who were, were hoping returns to full form because, man, full form, just completely healthy. Zion Williamson, Zion Williamson is, as you said, Charles Barkley, but he's like the monster version of, of Charles Barkley when... When the aliens took like his skills in Space Jam, like that's literally who Zion is. Um, but but the the challenge and the grind and and the physicality and the travel and the high pace of play um, of of being an NBA player it takes its toll on even the best most athletic bodies. So this rookie class coming in, especially because of Victor's frame, Chet Holmgren technically is. A, a rookie he missed mm-hmm. his first season because of, of injury longevity um is you know is is a realistic expectation and goal for for an nba rookie that sometimes feels lofty uh availability is not um an ability that a lot of these rookies have deep into their into their careers what have you observed from your from your time covering the league that you feel you know contributes so much to a player's ability to have a longer 
uh, and you know more successful career as the years pile up? Well, I, I think it comes down to less is more. And in that sense, I think the NBA had a really good opportunity with the last collective bargaining agreement to reduce the season by five to 10 games. I, I think the sweet spot is closer to 70 games rather than 82. And I think, you know, the fact that to win awards now, you have to play in at least 65 games. Basically, to me, that sends a message to the players that you only have to play in 65, which you, you're, you're, you're almost allowed to take 17 games off for rest, recovery, whatever it is, which is almost a quarter of the season. So if that's all the requirement is to win awards, then I think some of the you know, players, certainly the veterans, are only going to say, well, that's, a, that's, that's my focus then, to play 65 games. And that's where I think the NBA would have been better to say, well, why don't we just make the season 70 games then and spread the games out a little bit more? Because one of the things that really has run rampant recently is is this load management. And, and guys literally just as the season starts, I mean, Kawhi Leonard, I think it was his third game for the Raptors in 2019, was like, I'm sitting out this game. And so, and I understand why they do it because they are trying to be able to play and get paid Absolutely. into their late 30s. You know, so so if if you're... If that's clearly what the sports scientists and the and the you know doctors and the medical experts are saying, this is the grind that it's taking on bodies where the where players can't play that many games a season and have a long lucrative career, then we need to come to agreement. Now, I understand why they don't, because the owners want the gate revenues, they want the TV slots, they want the merchandise sales. So the owners ultimately are the ones who decide these things and they're not going to turn away you know, uh, opportunities to have fans in the arena and just put the games on TV. It's more money. And and, and again, money is tends to be the uh, driving force behind these decisions. But ultimately, I think for the betterment of the league and the, and the betterment of the players, there should be a reduction in just how many games there are. I, I, I think when I look at the NFL, I'm not a football fan in that sense, but every single game matters. And I know people who do follow football and they hang off every single possession of their team for the season. You know, they're like, oh man, like in the second quarter of their third game, they're like gripped <laughs> by what they see because it means everything and their season can turn quickly. Whereas in the NBA, I think you play so many games that one game to the next doesn't have much of an impact. And people, so people don't tune in and the players don't have the same, uh, the same passion and desire to compete every single game because it's like, even if you lose five or 10 games in a row, it's like, we've still got time to make it up. And and I, I just think that's where it's lost a little bit of its appeal um, as a fan, where you're like, hang on a minute, we, we're now watching, again, Warriors and Lakers could be promoted as the big Saturday night game, but then it's like LeBron's out, Steph's out, Clay's out. And so then you're watching, you know, again, respectfully, you're watching Wiggins and Jordan Poole and, um, you know, Austin Reeves, and it's like, it's just not the same. You need you need guys to be like, man, I can't miss this game. Like, can you imagine Larry Bird or Magic or Charles or Michael Jordan saying, oh, I'm just going to take five or 10 games off this season? You know, I know, you know, Michael Jordan, you know, and then you don't want to get too nostalgic and say, oh, I was better back in my day or anything like mm -hmm. that. But Michael Jordan, you know, really barely missed the game during his uh, peak years. You know, he played 80, 81 or 82 games most of those years. And then he went on to play all in those playoff games in the finals. And and I think that was the drive for him was like every single game means something and I want to go out there and win and compete. I just don't think it's the same attitude for a lot of guys now. I think it's more like I just need to get through the season, then I'll get to the playoffs, and then I'll start playing. And I think the NBA would be wise to address that and say, well, why don't we just try to meet in the middle here, make the season shorter, but then make the incentive that you have to play in every game. And I think there's some, you know, marker in there between 60 and 70 games that could be reached. And it's like, you know, we we, we just can't have guys sitting out when I'm, I'm a father, you know, and a lot of people are parents out there. You want to take your kid to the game. If you're going to spend 150, 200 bucks on a ticket, you want to see the best players out there. You don't just want the guys sitting in street clothes going, this is the game I took off. I mean, it just feels like, that's not a way to keep fans engaged. Especially, I mean, you know, the, you have you and I talking about 
you know, being able to travel, having the the blessing to have seen NBA games, right? I mean, Australia to pick a U.S. city or Manila to pick whichever U.S. city that ain't that ain't no joke. I'm I'm crossing my fingers the entire flight if ever I am, you know, gonna invest my my savings make my pilgrimage fly on over and and be able to 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 see these guys play um but you know you you made a great point about about longevity and you made a great point about these players really doing what they must to be able to take care of themselves um you know and you know self-care i think is a big theme you know of, of this podcast is a big theme of, of of the nba and the conversation around it and i think players and and you know and training staffs, um, you know, I think they've taken upon themselves to really prioritize self-care and, you know, prioritize the mental, the psychological wellness of, of their players because that's the best way to make sure that when you need them the most, they're going to be performing at an optimal level. Absolutely. And, and, and again, I understand the teams taking that approach where they're like, listen, we, we don't care tonight, but this is, you know Steph Curry's turn to sit out tonight because right. we need him. We're we're expecting we him, him to be playing. Yeah, exactly. We're expecting him to be playing twenty odd games after the season ends, and we want him to be a hundred percent healthy and fresh and not leg, uh, you know, not fatigued in the legs or anything. And so, you know, teams take an approach where it's like our priority is on the players, not on the fans, and not on the product. And again, I <clears throat> I understand because it's such a cutthroat business about you know. You win a championship and you're good for another season. But if you if you miss out on the playoffs or you have a bad season, then play, coaches get fired and players get traded and things happen. So it, it it is so important for everyone to be playing at their best when they play. But again, if you're trying to keep the fans involved, uh, like we just we just talked about it before, that people are talking about so many off season moves. That's great, but you want fans during the season to be so engaged with every game. To know that their team season, you know, is 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 on the line every single night, and and it just doesn't quite feel like that anymore. Now, look, I'm also a little bit older now. Maybe it's just the jet part of life. As you get older, you don't have quite that same investment uh, in, in in sports and teams. You know, you sort of mature a little bit. You most people have won a few things, and then they've lost a few things, and you you know, it becomes a little bit more predictable. But I just feel for the younger generation, the way people consume media these days and, and watch games, is you need you need to make sure that they know that the guys out there on the court are competing every single night as as hard as they can. And I just don't think we've seen that. But I don't think it means that we can't see it. You know, I think I think I mean the All Star Game is a good example. I mean, you know, they've tried to make a few changes there, uh, the the league, and I commend them for that. But ultimately, it comes down to the players. And if the players aren't out there competing and trying as hard as they can in the All-Star game, then that's not going to change. It doesn't matter what sort of gimmicky rule or, or whatever you put in place. It comes down to like, hey, we're on this team and we've got to try to beat that other team and we're going to play defense, we're going to play hard, and we're going to compete as best we can. Once you do that, then I think it becomes obvious to the fans of what's going on and you become more involved. I mean, you know, like like the finals, I mean, Think of Jimmy Butler in the playoffs. I mean, it's impossible to not sort of cheer for this guy because he's like, he believes he can win any game, anywhere, on the road, at any time. And he did that against the Celtics. They came into the play, uh, you know, came in via the play-in tournament. They had to beat the Bucks and they beat the Knicks and they beat the Celtics. They nearly blew it against the Celtics and he came back and then it was against the Nuggets and they went on the road. And it's like, look at how this guy is competing. You, you're pulling for Jimmy Butler here. But during the regular season... It's like, oh, does Jimmy even did he even play in fifty games? You don't really know. Uh, so there needs to be, I think, a little closer correlation to that. I mean, Jimmy's numbers in the playoffs went up. He just, you know, he, you just know he's out there competing hard. But during the regular season, it just doesn't feel like he's at that same quite quite that same intensity level, right? And you know, hopefully, fingers crossed that that in season tournament. Uh, I'm sure it won't be. Maybe it won't be this season yet. But hopefully, similar to, I'm not a, I'm not a big football European football fan. But from what I hear and from what I see, that that means so much. So that's the model that that, that they follow. So hopefully, down the line, uh, that also adds to the competitiveness pre playoffs 
within the regular season. I don't even know what the terms are anymore in tournament <laughs> pre playoffs, but it's not the postseason. All right. Um, yeah. B- b- before before we let you go, I have, I have a couple of things more that, that I want to talk to you about. I mentioned self-care. You're out there on the road um, a lot these last eight months um, while the pickup games are, are great. Uh, they look great while the while the courts look fantastic. I like I would have accused you of AI if I thought that you were the <laughs> if I if I thought for a second that you are you were the AI manipulating type. I was like, this court looks like it's too good to be true. But then like it actually is. Um, but I, I'm I'm sure being on the road, I'm sure kind of taking on such a big career and personal change being away from family extended amount of time i have an almost two-year-old i'm up here right now for the last hour all i want to do is go back down and maybe accidentally wake him up so i can go play <laughs> with him again um I'm, I'm i'm sure it's not always easy and you know this this is a this is a little bit of a, a question that may be too personal if you feel so then just say that i'm sorry but like what's been your kind of method of self-care when it kind of gets tough out there on the road, traveling to all these strange and distant places. Yeah, well, well, definitely being away from my wife and our boys is is the hardest, no doubt about it. Um, you know, I, I, um, I, I obviously like any father. I mean, you just want to spend as much time around your kids and be there for for them every day. And but in order to do what I'm doing, it means I do have to be away from them. And and it's like now with FaceTime and everything like that, I mean, I can talk to them anytime, but it's that it's the physical touch. It's the snuggling. It's the cuddling. It's the reading the books late at night. It's early in the morning on weekends where they come and well, my, not my 11 year old, but my six year old still snuggles into bed and we read books on a Saturday and Sunday. I mean, that's tough to be away from them for that. Um, but I also realize like, you know, it's okay when you set yourself a goal like this to realize that there's going to be some price that you have to pay. And I try to not be away for too long at a time. When I went to Africa, I was away 17 days and that was about as long as I could be away from everybody. But again, in order to do what I'm doing, I, I can't sort of do it half, you know, half hearted. I've got to go in for it. And so I'm trying to make it as compelling as I can and, t- and do it as best I can so that it, gives people the idea that I'm really trying to turn this into something. And so in order to do that, you know, you have to be prepared to uh to to just accept that you are going to be away from your family for uh for some time. And so, you know, it's not easy. But again, speaking to my wife, she's got she's supported me fully on this. And she's understanding as well that it means a little bit more work for her. She's got to do all the sort of uh, taking the kids to school, making their lunches, being there after school for them. So there's a lot more work on her end, but she is understanding that for what I'm trying to do, it, it it's, a, it's a team, it's a family commitment to do that. So um, it, it's hard. And I, I, I certainly, when I look at trips now, I'm like, okay, how's how can I do this so I can maximize my time while I'm away, but also not be away for too long? And so you then look at ways of trying to, as soon as I arrive, like I basically try to get something happening the next day, get that content going, get the things moving, and then move on to the next place, whether or not that's coming back to Atlanta or trying to do, you know, two or three cities on the one trip so that I can get the most uh, out of each experience. Um, but, you know, like anything in life, I mean, you know, the, there are times where you just, you know, you're, you're away from your family and it's never easy on anybody. But uh, ultimately, I'm never too far away either. Uh, you know, I'm always... When I'm here, I'm very engaged. I coach my kids at soccer and, you know, I, I help them with the homework and I read books and I play with them and we, you know, we we have waffles for breakfast on weekends and things like that. And so I'm very, very active and very, very engaged when I'm here. And when I'm away, I try to, again, I try to make sure that I see their faces and talk to them at least every every second day at, la- at the most um, uh, and just let them know what I'm doing. And, you know, um, that was certainly something going into this i was like how am i going to be away from my kids for for this amount of time but i i again my wife sort of helped me understand that it's like hey listen this is this is something that's very important for you to try at least and if again if it doesn't work out it doesn't work out but i i I really want my kids to know that i believe you've got to just go for things in life you really have to go for them and you know the only way you're going to do that is if you give it your full and complete commitment that's that's beautifully said 
it, it, it really is. You know, this, 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 this episode or conversation, this particular episode of the show is, you know, is, is presented by AXA, the official insurance partner of the NBA. And, you know, they've really, over our partnership with them and SLAM over the last few years, they've really turned us on to thinking about self-care in the context of, of sports, not just for the athletes, but for, you know, us as well, who have to travel, who have to, you know, be around um, you know, the game, which is such an emotional experience for us fans all the time and just kind of balance, right? Just like being, you know, an employee or being, you know, being someone who's working, being someone who's starting and, uh, you know, a personal mission or journey. Um, and at the same time, trying to be the guy who makes waffles at home. And, you know, I, I think you put it perfectly in the sense that, you know, a lot of it really is you know, self-care is team care. Right. Like a lot of. Right. Very good. Very well said. Yeah. Um, you, you know, we all none of us do this by ourselves. We do it with our family and our friends. And, you know, we, we all have low moments and we all have high moments. But most importantly, if you can just be there for each other, uh, that helps all of us get through everything in life because. You know, there there are definitely days whether you whether you're on the road or you're at home. I have days at home where you sort of you're down and you're frustrated, you're bothered by things, but you realise that that's life, whether you're here or or there. It, it's it's but but we all have to manage that with our support staff, which is often our family, and then and then our friends that are close by. For us, we don't have extended family where we live here so we do rely on a little bit more of our community and our network here uh but ultimately we we sort of have each other's back as well and and try to just get through whatever life throws at us together and and i can't wait for for that that community of yours to extend on over to manila and for you to have a manila branch a manila outpost of 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 the lee ellis community um all right before before i let you go um I'm 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 sure that any interview that you know you you grant they ask you some version some version of this I'm gonna have to because I can't I can't resist right you guys uh, in, in in your career uh, and what you guys have done uh, as a group as well you guys have had some of the most memorable most viral before viral was a viral word um, interactions <laughs> and experiences with some of the yeah. best NBA players legends personalities. When when someone like me starts phrasing this question, what's the first thing that pops into your mind in terms of your favorite? I can't believe that happened. The little kid from Australia who was writing handwritten letters to the NBA would have never believed that this was going to happen. Him <laughs> hanging out or doing this or having this moment with this particular player. Well, it comes back to the Steph Curry uh, moment mm. for me. I mean, uh, the fact that I said something on our TV show that Steph heard, that Steph listened to, and then Steph implemented to go and win his first ever three-point shootout in 2015 was, um, it's still a still a sort of pinch me moment. Um, still one of those things that I can't so believe. As a fan of yours, I know that well, but there may be people who are listening to this and go like, wait, what? Lee Ellis Yeah, what? Well, you know, and so I, I just... We talked about it during the All-Star Weekend. We were putting together our sort of top 20 moments. And, you know, I, I loved the uh, three-point shootout from the start. And Larry Bird won the first three. And I just mentioned how, you know, Larry lined the balls up perfectly before he started shooting. And so I, I said that I thought that was important because it gets you into a kind of rhythm mm. of shooting. And you Steph have to search for the be- lines when you pick up yeah. the ball. And Steph, who'd been in the three-point shootout three times to that point and had never won it, um implemented that strategy and then he went out and won it for the first time in 2015 and someone asked him you know what was the difference why you know you hadn't won it before what was the difference and he mentioned that he didn't mention my name or the tv show but he mentioned that he saw it on nba tv uh and went out there and and did it and won and you know and and so you know going full circle here back to the start where you said you know like it sounds crazy what i'm doing and 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 it does but if i'd said to someone 10 years ago hey listen Steph Curry, you know, that guy, good shooter. <laughs> I've got the secret and I'm going to tell him and he's going to go out and show. I mean, if I'd said that to somebody, what would it, would anyone have said, yeah, that sounds really, yeah, good stuff. That's crazy. Like, what are you smoking? What are you drinking? So, you know, when I think about things like that, what I'm doing now doesn't seem anywhere near as crazy. It's like, <laughs> hey, you, you just don't know. So for me to have had that sort of a, an impact on on something like, you know, Steph Curry did is 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 not something I'll ever be able to 
really put into words and and as you can tell i hate talking about it as well you know it's uh <laughs> it's a cool moment and then a few years later i got to shoot around with him and it was me and steph curry for you know half an hour 40 minutes just shooting three pointers talking like a couple of dads and and that that made it even cooler because it wasn't like a starstruck moment of like oh my god that's steph curry it was more like you know, look, obviously I'm nowhere near Steph in terms of a, a player level, but in terms of like a love for the game level, I think we're we're probably even. I don't think I don't think you can love the game more just because you play it at the highest mm. level. I love it as much as he does. And so um my whole life has been about basketball. And in that moment when we were just shooting around together, it was just two guys who love basketball shooting, and that's what it felt like. Uh so, you know, but there were there were other moments as well. I mean I grew up watching Isaiah Thomas for, on the Detroit Pistons, and then a few years later, you know, I'm I'm there at NBA TV talking to him about the playoffs from 1989, and in, <laughs> in, in fact, remembering things that he'd forgotten. And I'm telling, I said, "Remember that game against the Bulls?" And he was like, "Oh yeah, yeah. What game was that? Game three or game four? I said, "No, no, no. That was that was game three. This happened, and then this happened, <laughs> and so you know that. And then other times, even just with Shaq or with Vince Carter or Dirk Nowitzki, it's like. It, you know, it just seemed like every time, every year, something new happened that was just sort of like I would go home and say to my wife, "Like, can you believe this happened?" Like, I, I I don't know how to describe it. I don't know how to put it into words. But it's it's the those things that happen that really do make me believe that anything else can happen. And and the only way you do it is to try and to get out there and to give it a shot. And that's that's why where I am right now, I'm like, hey. Something crazy could happen. Something you, you don't know who, you know, if I make it to Manila and we're out there playing and, you know, uh, Dirk or someone turns up to play, that could happen. I mean, Dirk's going to be in Manila and, and, and you know, if he gets wind of what's happening and maybe he's like, oh, I'll come along, I'll join in the run. I mean, thing, things could happen like that. You just don't know. But I do know that if you don't try, then things can't happen. But if you do try, they might. Maybe they won't, but maybe they will. I'm not sure what your kid's soccer team record is. Um, <laughs> but I'll tell you right now, they're incredibly well coached because I feel like I'm gonna, I could run through a wall for you. <laughs> like if you were my coach, I'd run through the wall for you right now. Lee, what, what you do is truly beautiful. It's incredibly inspiring. We wish we were doing it with you, but I'll settle for being here when you do it uh, on your Asian, on your, on the Asian leg of your tour and you stop by our little country and our little city and, and then it'll be you and me. I don't know Steph Curry, but 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 then we'll take a half hour or so. We'll shoot three pointers and talk like just a bunch of dads. Uh, and it, it would be one of one of my highlights and one of the crazy things that happened to me. So thank you very much for making time. We greatly appreciate this. Anytime, Nico. Thanks very much. Uh, this has been fantastic. And uh, I, I hope it's just a matter of time before we are shooting those hoops together in Manila. There you go. Lee Ellis, ladies and gentlemen. That was the one, the only Lee Ellis. We appreciate him making time and uh, see you soon, Lee. See you soon. We're working on it, people. We're working on it. This episode of the Call Tarvis podcast was brought to you by AXA. They are the official insurance partner of the NBA. We'll catch you guys again very, very soon. We're launching uh, something super special in just a few days. You'll hear more about it here and on Slam Online PH. Stay safe, everybody. Bye-bye. I want a million lives. I want a billion profits when all that I got is a villainous mind. I keep a real in the pocket while you hear the venomous lies. I do not speak like a prophet because I got a million styles. Let's see what's really inside. Pulling over in the whip. Flying out another tree.